This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements and the stories that have been forgotten. When you say 1984, Sona, immediately what do you think of? You think of George Orwell, right? Of course you do. Dystopian future, surveillance state. Oppressive regimes, et cetera, et cetera. And that book was written in 49, about 1984. And the reality of 1984 with George Michael and Wham couldn't be any more different (laughs) than what George Orwell envisaged. And we'll start with the really important stuff, okay? Okay. On January the 22nd, Germany's Klaus Friedrich set the record for domino toppling. Oh, come on. What is this even? (laughs) With a grand total of 281,581 individual dominoes being toppled in one sequential move. That was surprisingly impressive the moment you brought the number into it. 281,000 individual pieces. I mean, how long would that even take to set up? Can you imagine? They must have had a team of domino. Just imagine how many times this team of domino setter uppers are putting that and just accidentally one person. And then you have to reset the entire thing. Imagine that. Imagine when you're putting in the final piece. Yeah. If you were the guy responsible for messing up, for nudging it. Um, As I said, we are going to leave politics aside when it comes to all things that went on in 1984. But Wendy's was responsible for a very famous ad, which led me down a bit of a rabbit hole. And I came came across just an extremely amusing song (laughs) as a result of this. So Wendy's, which is a fast food company over in the US, it launched its TV ad. And the, the ad was titled Fluffy Bun. (laughs) <laughs> okay, in, in 1984. You know that this but, makes me think of a bunny rabbit. Yeah, just go go to burger in yeah. your mind, okay? okay? Now, the ad featured three elderly women receiving a burger with like an enormous bun. Okay. Think of a bun that dwarfs the patty. Okay. Right? And a tiny piece of burger patty, <laughs> okay. okay? And Clara Pella, one of the ladies that appeared in the ad, said, where's the beef? Okay? Now... It turns out the director of the ad had instructed Pella to say, where is all the beef? But because she had emphysema, she shortened it. This is according to (laughs) Ad Age. And where's the beef became an iconic phrase in 1984. Commercial, the commercial got a lot of attention. The phrase entered popular culture. And it even inspired a not really a hit song, but a song nonetheless by Coyote McLeod and Clara Pella herself, uh, entitled, <laughs> Where's the Beef? Do you want to take a listen? Let's hear it. Well, when she opened the buns, put on the mustard. Fries, when it up, she got all fussy. She said, I've had burgers, well done and rare. Now I got one that ain't even there. She got no response from ringing the bell. And that's when she started to yell, Where's the beef? The one who stole this lady's beef. more terrible than my wildest imaginations. Yeah, I, mean, I could imagine you putting that together on your garage computer at home. Yeah, yeah. When you're 17 years old. I don't know if that's enhanced the prospects for 1984 <laughs> or massively detracted from them. Uh, but there you go. A bit of a weirdness coming where's out of the year. Where's the beef? Were people really going around in 1984 just being like, yo, where's the beef? Apparently so. It became a real <laughs> catchphrase. Um, Tetris dropped its first block Ooh, this year. That's pretty good. Yeah. 
So um, far, that's the most impressive thing on this list. Uh, June the 6th, 1984, um, the block-building puzzle game, which was designed by Alexei Leonidovich Pachinov. Well done with try that. Try saying that fast. Yeah. He was an in- artificial intelligence researcher, and it became one of the earliest smash-hit video games. It was first available, actually, on the Commodore 64. The console or the, the game that, or, or the, the, the vehicle with which I remember it best through mm-hmm. is, of course, the Game Boy. Yes. Who doesn't? Yeah, when I think of Game Boy, I think of Tetris. Pop in the back. Yeah, so good. Uh, you played Tetris for hours. Fan of Tetris or not? I mean, I was. I mean, it was it was a, it was a very addictive game at the time. I mean, you probably play it now and you think, "What am I doing?" But yeah, no, we'd still get lost in it for hours. A little bit. Yeah, yeah it was definitely addictive. Um, but yeah, 1984. It was a big year for space. Astronauts Ooh. made the first untethered spacewalk. Untethered. Yeah, apparently. Um, it was during an eight-day mission on the Challenger in February of the year. The astronauts on board attempted the first ever spacewalk free of any lifeline and propelled into the dark void by tiny jets. That is horrifying. Yeah, imagine that. Oh. I, I haven't seen gravity, but it reminds me of this idea of like, if I were to go out there and do that, I would just imagine myself floating through space and not being able to get back. But imagine I'm sure that's not how it being works, in that but... situation where you're just floating through space. <gasps> That's terrifying. Yeah. That's not exciting to me. That's terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the New York Times reported that they were, in effect, the first human satellites. Yeah, because they would have been orbiting the Earth. Exactly. How exactly. cool is that? The first solo transatlantic balloon flight was Ooh. completed in 1984. A retired U.S. Air Force colonel, Joseph Kittinger, traded in his combat plane for a hot air balloon. And in September, he set out to be the first person to cross the Atlantic Ocean solo in this very unique mode of transportation, which would, again, be pretty terrifying, I'd imagine. If something goes wrong in a hot air balloon above <laughs> the Atlantic, your options are limited. Yeah, that is definitely something that... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that no one had attempted it earlier, though. Yeah, well, it took him 86 hours, 3,600 miles. He actually ended up touching down in Italy. He did it with, with a plum. He went halfway across the Mediterranean right. as well, and he solidified his place in the history books. It was a big year for Apple. They launched the Macintosh. I mean, that's huge. And they played on George Orwell's book in the Super Bowl commercial, which launched the Mac. And I'm going to play a little clip of it. It's a weird ad. Um, but they spent an awful lot on it. They spent $900 million on this commercial. It was one of the most... 900,000, sorry. It's freaked me out there, 900 million. $2.2 million adjusted for inflation for one of the most expensive commercials ever made. And this apparently single-handedly created an industry within an industry, the concept of a Super Bowl commercial. Listen to this. We shall On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Ooh. Yeah. I like the sound of that already. I thought I knew what this was going to be, but I'm realizing I don't think I've seen this whole ad, and now I want to watch it. Yeah, it's a a bit of a freaky ad, actually, but it did very well for the Macintosh. How does it continue on? What's the whole premise of it? That was pretty much it. Yeah. It was was filmed with this kind of, again, very Orwellian kind of vision of like these sort of faceless ranks of society, and then this Mac just pops up. It was, as producer Tom is telling us, it was directed by Ridley Scott. Um, And speaking of directing, let's move into film and television for the year. I mean, Arnie, he's really the headline act. He got the chance to showcase a very nuanced range of his acting talents. Take a listen. I'm a friend of Sarah Connor. I was told that she's here. Could I see her, please? Where is she? 
I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> he had about five lines of dialogue in the entire Terminator movie. That was all in the same tone. Yeah, I know. Brilliant. That, um, is, that is deadpan as he does every single thing he's ever done. He was the perfect guy to play a killing yeah. machine back in 1984, and it did become enormously successful, and it spawned, obviously, an equally successful sequel, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. In the return for a second instalment, uh, I've got Let a me ask clip. you before you move on. Terminator 1, is it significant when compared to Terminator 2? It is, yeah, because it's still one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time, Terminator 1. The original concept of... I never hear anyone talk about Terminator 1 ever. It's Terminator always about Terminator 2. Good, 2. But Terminator 1, give it a watch. I watched it. It's, it's ex- extremely, you know, it's a great it's okay. a great action film, sci-fi, you know, whatever. It's brilliant. And um, Arnie's in fine form, as you just heard. Indy Return for a second dose. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his second film of the original trilogy was The Temple of Doom. Take a listen. And wasn't it the Sultan of Madagascar who threatened to cut your head off if you ever returned to his country? No, it wasn't my head. Then your hands, perhaps. No, it wasn't my hands. It was my... My misunderstanding. Exactly what we have here, Dr. Jones. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. I haven't it, seen this movie since yeah. I was about eight years old. Oh, I have to, not rewatched it. Out. But yeah, that memory of the eyeballs oh, yeah, is the eyeball seared soup. in my brain. Yeah. Yeah, floating about in the oh. soup. I know. Um, really, yeah, that was a, a very... I think I, I watched that one more than the other two when I was a kid. So that's the one that sticks in my mind. Is that the best Indiana Jones movie? I think... I, don't, I would say probably The Raiders of the Lost Ark is better. Mm. And actually, you could make a good case for The Last Crusade as well with Sean Connery playing his dad. Yeah. Uh, that was a brilliant one as well. But they're, they're all great, those original trilogy movies. Gremlins was launched, the American comedy horror film directed by Joe Dante. Police Academy. Uh, take a listen to this. And now that they're ready for the real world, crime is no longer the number one problem. They are Police Academy. There were some really weird trailers. How many Police Academies were there? There were like eight, weren't there? 17 or something. Yeah. Um, Speaking of franchises, it was the original Ghostbuster movie. In 1984, uh, Eddie Murphy became the biggest movie star in the world. Beverly Hills Cop, which I'm not sure I've even ever seen. That came out in 84. And A Nightmare on Elm Street became one of the most iconic horror films of all time. Launched in 1984, an estimated budget of $1.8 million. It grossed $57 million, and it spawned a franchise consisting of six sequels, a television series, and a crossover with Friday the 13th. I'm not going to lie to you. 1984 wasn't doing so well until you got to the movies. Mm, no, that was incredible. Yeah, some brilliant movies. And Karate Kid, 37 years on, we're still loving Ooh. Cobra Kai. Star Trek Three. I mean, probably not the best, but <laughs> Once Upon a Time in America, directed by Sergio Leone and starring Robert De Niro and James Woods, that's been called one of the greatest gangster films ever made. So it mm. was really a great year for movies. How will the music fare, I wonder? Purple Rain. That landed with a splash. But 1984, that was probably the zenith of Prince's kind of worldwide fame and acclaim, it's fair to say. And uh, this song, Rolling Stone, would eventually place among the top 100 of its 500 greatest songs of all time. Maybe I'm just like my father. This is perhaps what well, certainly one of my favorite albums, and it's definitely one of the most successful U.S. albums ever released. Bruce Springsteen, a contender for his greatest ever album, 
born in the USA, if you ever want to feel nostalgic, put this album on because it's just one hit track after another. And it sold, by 2012, it had sold over 30 million copies and it included classics like this. Give me Bruce over Prince any day of the week. You know what? Both a little bit different. I respect them both. Very different. I enjoy both of those. Tina Turner, she was back in form with What's Love Got To Do With It? Eddie Van Halen's fame, that hit a peak in 1984 with the single, um, it was Jump. Are you a fan of this particular song? Let's take a listen. It's about as 80s uh, an intro as you'll ever get. I dig you, it. You like it? I definitely dig it. Is this the song that was in Love Actually? For Not some sure. reason, it reminds me Not of Not sure. The fact that you have a movie re- reference yeah. tied to a song <laughs> is a heck of a surprise. Then. And in all fairness, we need to cover the full musical picture of mm-hmm. the year. It included this. Oh. one of my least favorite songs of all time yeah i'm with you really of all time yeah oh shudder yeah this is is just notched 1984 down about two points in my my books it's it's down to a nine is it (laughs) so uh and then this became one of the most famous songs of the year this final one still played without fail every november and december realized how many famous musicians were in band aid yeah boy george george michael sting phil collins the entirety of duran duran and spandau ballet paul weller many many others this was a real thing of a product of the 80s wasn't it and the 90s you don't really yeah, see that anymore with all so. of these it, huge superstars coming together like yeah. i quite like it i like the idea of everybody coming together and doing something cheesy okay let's move on quickly to sport it was of course the olympic games Ooh. los angeles was the headlining event of the year and america's carl lewis was the dominant athlete on the track he won four gold medals including the 100 and 200 sprint double and the long jump take a listen to his 100 meter final win uh, run it was a time of 9.99 seconds zone tell you what Usain Bolt really did raise the bar didn't he here comes Lewis on the outside Carl Lewis wins the goal he won it by quite a bit but he really had the pressure put on him in the center of the track and by Ron Brown in lane one they were out quick Carl managed to keep his cool, and I think he won it by a great margin, maybe even more than anyone expected. You see the time there. They were commentators back in those in the 80s were really kind of I don't know. They just didn't quite give it the oomph that modern day commentators give it. That. There was no energy to that. These yeah, guys are blown away by what he's just achieved. I could not tell. Yeah, he wanted that by could quite be a, a bit. run of the mill stroll yeah, jog down that, the street based on been, that commentary. Yeah, that could have been the school high high jump final or something. Uh, Steve Redgrave won the first of five Olympic golds. Nawal El Mutawakel of Morocco became the first female Olympic champion of a Muslim nation ever Ooh. and the first of her country in the 400-meter hurdles. Um, with the Cold War rage in the Olympics was a high-profile opportunity for a boycott and 
14 Eastern Bloc countries decided to boycott the 1984 Summer Olympics, which ultimately meant that the US just won everything. 83 Olympic gold medals were scooped by the US. Um, in other sports, uh, France beat Spain in the Euros with goals from Michel Platini and Bruno Bellon for France's victory in that tournament. Liverpool won their fourth European Cup. They did so after a penalty shootout when their final against Roma had finished 1-1. Phil Neal had scored for Liverpool, Roberto Pruzzo for Roma. It was the seventh title in eight seasons for English clubs dominating in Europe. And Liverpool won domestically as well their league. So that was a very dominant period for the, for the Reds. Juventus won Serie A. Atletico Bilbao won La Liga. In motorsport, Nicky Lauda won the 1984 Formula One World Championship. What do we give 1984 out of 10, Sonal Rapani? All right, from me... It- it's going to get a three. Wow. Why? Uh, just, you know what? Nothing that really stands out. Like a couple pretty good movies. But aside from that, I'm feeling pretty meh about 1984. You? Fard's giving it an eight. I wasn't impressed by it at all. Um, I'll give it a five. Producer Tom is giving it a six out of ten for we amazing films. We'll start Tom's to... giving it a six because someone in 1949 had written a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.